Hi, I'm Luke Campbell, <laughs> and I work for a small wine company. And he's Luke Morris. Oh yeah, and I um I have a f- oh, we have two people who's voted in the hottest 100 for wines. I'm excited. Ooh. That's what I am. And together we are Luke's Talk Wine. We talk about all things wine and booze, popular culture, think when to drink, what to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. How's it going, mate? Things are well, thank you. I'm up and about. It's um. It's been a great week since we last spoke, and uh, we're back. We're back again. This is uh, where are we at? We're at season three, <laughs> episode four. But gosh, we've uh, got to be around the fifty. Are we getting close to the 50, 50 show mark? Geez, we'd have to be, wouldn't we? We're on the downhill slide, I would suggest. Uh, you're the keeper of the show notes, so yeah. But I, I don't, I. Yeah, but didn't, and haven't been adding them up. I mean, if each season is twenty episodes, that makes this one episode twenty-four. Correct. Yes. Th- oh, sorry, forty-four. Episode forty-four. Yes. Wow. So we are marching towards episode fifty. Oh man! No wonder I've got grey hair. Hmm. Well, strap yourself in. Hello to the listening <laughs> audience. We should say first, but uh, we have got several topics, starting with this week's topic which is, can Europe please label their wines with the grape variety? No. And also... <laughs> no, you already and, know. That's not going to All right, well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming, everybody. And that was Luke's talk. That's going to be a fun one. Oh, man. That's a and good topic. We've, we've got a list, a list of questions, actually, from Steve, Steve from Bernie. Steve from Bernie. Bernie, Tasmania. Yes, Steve from Bernie writes... Why do I prefer low tannin red wines? Oh, that's a good question, Steve. So low tannin red wines, we'll, uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, and certainly beyond that, as always, every week, and this week is no different, listeners, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Uh, this week is actually the week before, but um, we talked more about the Hottest 100. Vote in the Hottest 100. For wines, but um, the side note is a mate of mine got a job with a um, major wine corporation, and mm. I want to find some of his messages because he's just getting a grips to like understanding what the wine world is. Because um, you know you don't have to have wine knowledge to work in most wine companies. If they're a, if they're a big enough company, if you're good at marketing, you do marketing. If you're good at uh i'm trying to think of another role that doesn't require any wine knowledge you'd imagine that marketing would require wine knowledge but it accounts yeah and uh photography is events actually events is true photography is a tricky one because you know how difficult have, have you tried to take photographs of glassware yep it's not easy i'm sure yeah no, it's not. I spoke to a guy who do, who does it, and he's he's like, yeah, it's it's like one of the most difficult things you can try and take a photo of, because you know it's glass. Is it that light yeah. travels through it, and you're trying to take a photograph showing a three dimensional object where the light goes through? It's not. <laughs> it's, not easy. No. Let me guess: is, is your mate finding out that the wine industry isn't all 
beer and Skittles. Pun well, intended. Yeah, I was going to say, he's finding out that there's um, like how beer, beer companies work. How Basically, he's discovering the, the notion of, uh, of buying a brand and then changing those products for cost effectiveness and just continually to mark the brand as it previously was. Did you, did you want to relay any of his messages? I'd be interested. I'm oh, sure the listeners would. Yeah, gee, I'm just I, – I should have, have reread these before I started scrolling through. I don't want to name the products because I don't want to out him. Um, I'd well, love to really – I'd love to out the company, but, you know. <laughs> well, just insert inexplicable happiness <laughs> for the brand. Okay, here's one. <laughs> I'll read this. Um, I think inexplicable happiness could be an interesting case study. As I said, I had a lovely time there when I went prior to them being brought out. It seems that company name sells a budget range, probably inexplicable happiness on the labels on any wine for about $15 and then slightly more ones at $25 then some more expensive ones. But I think his his gripe was that they you know it's gone downhill. Yes, yeah, like a big a beer brand. He was like, it, he used to love their their beers, but now the price and quality have reduced. Oh yeah, the the standard lines are kept. They bring out new you know special items to sell. You know, it's I guess it's like. This is a bad example, but a, reserve, a reserve wine or something. a reserve wine suddenly appears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example. Mm, oh, I I have a massive dislike for the the term reserve. Like, do you? Well, I do only because like there there are only a few wineries left that use it for its nature. Most of them just use it for a marketing term now, and it's yeah. like, have have you really reserved that back from a special part of your vineyard? Hang on. Don't you make ten thousand million hectolitres? Like, <laughs> I'm not yeah. really seeing you going down the two middle vineyards of the northeast facing slope and selecting berries for that particular vine. Hey, call me a pessimist, <laughs> but I'm not seeing it. You know, like so. Yeah, I get a little bit funny about the use of the term reserve. As I mentioned, there 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 are exceptions to every rule, but uh, Did- I'm not a big fan. Did Australia ever actually implement? Because I heard word for a while that they were going to implement a um, uh, a restriction on the term "old vine," because years ago it started to pop up on every wine label, and it just sort of seemed to mean that ah, oh, they're a ten-year-old winery, but you know those are the old vines compared to the five-year-old vines that they've just planted. So those are the old vine Shiraz. And it's like uh, now. I don't know. I don't know if they restricted the term, but I do know what the Barossa, the Barossa did yeah. recently as well. Is they forbode or forbid other people using the fact of um, the vine age? You know, like there's a, there's a a vine age category category in the Barossa, like old centurion. Um, ah. Well, centurion would be a hundred years. Yes, but old, but old. Yeah, would be would be sixty, and then reserve would be eighty. What's um, what's it called? Oh, it's, was it? 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, is that is that? Uh, uh, I don't want, I'm going to say gentlemanly agreement. What's the like no, sporting no, no, agreement? No, or is it an actual yeah, brosser? No, it's uh, you know, it's been ra- ratified, uh, oh, okay. ratified. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's it called, actually? Um, it's called. I'm looking it up, listeners. This is great radio. It's Old Vine. It's the old Barossa Old Vine Charter. Obviously, the Centurion um, Vine is a, you know, as as we discussed, 100 years old. The Survivor Vine is equal or greater than 70 years of age, and Barossa Old Vine is equal or greater to 35 years of age. And so, you know, the, the Survivor Vine. Yep. And then you have I've beyond seen that. that. Yeah. Beyond that, you have the yeah. It was a, a the only reason I know about it is it was a question in my studies years ago, oh. um, and the other one is Barossa Ancestor Vine, which is 120 years of oh, age uh, and older, which is like Langmile, Henchke, uh, Shadow Tanunda, Elderton, Turkey Flat, like those guys. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mark Marcus Chirillo with his 1850 Grenache. Like these are all ancestor vines and that's part of the barossa old vine charter but what they didn't do is they didn't go that one step further and say so if you're not part of that if you have vines at 35 years and older you can label it old vine um but you have to be part of the barossa old vine charter it's not australia wide you know what i mean no i suppose in that sense you have to i assume there's supposed to be some sort of mark of approval this does pose the question campbell Mm. What is the benefit of old vines? Why do we care? Well, pe- people, winemakers, vignerons, and viticulturists will argue this to the cows come home. <laughs> the, the, the short answer is, no. which, yeah. <laughs> the short answer is whichever um, whichever grape you're making, Sh- Shiraz. In this example, we're talking about the Barossa old vine. They can still. Pref- preferably the older they get they can still the yield goes down but the fruit will be much more concentrated but then people would argue that at 40 years of age um pinot noir say or gamay those vines have to be regrafted so it really does depend on you have to classify your old vines shiraz or sangiovese you know i think it's different and i'm not a viticulturist by any means if you are send us an email at lukestalkwine at gmail.com and just clarify it for us. But I'm under the impression that it's different for each great variety, Luke Morris. But the long and the short of it is the older the vine gets, the lower the yield, the more concentrated the flavour. That's true because there's there's a replanting issue at around that 35 mark where I think, now I can be corrected, but I think it's um, yield starts to deteriorate. Yeah. So as the vine gets older the yield starts to deteriorate so you have the you get less fruit for the same quality of the same less fruit at the same quality because the vine works harder because it's older um and so people replant so that they can maintain a cropage level yep and you don't just wind up with a you know a whole vineyard of very old vines producing tiny amounts of fruit, which might yeah. sound ideal, but you know you got a business to run. 
<laughs> well, that's it. You know, you've got to concentrate on yield and, and work yeah. out how you're going to handle those vines and how you're going to forecast yields. And yeah, it's so, uh, something like something like Hedgeke Hill of Grace. I understand that that, unlike Grange, that Hill of Grace is that tiny. I don't know if it still is, but I assume it's that tiny vineyard that is it Prue still goes out there and looks like knows every individual vine and, and effectively tries to nurse them to keep them alive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Prue in particular has done a mountain of work with, um, you know, sustainability of that particular vineyard, and yeah, they they, they have you seen it? it? Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Is it it's is a, it is it as like I imagine those vines are like are the old man in the chair at the nursing home just clinging onto life? That's... Well, they actually they actually look depending on what time of year you see them. They actually look quite vibrant, although they're old and gnarly and much shorter to the ground than a newly planted vineyard. Mm. They're actually quite vibrant, you know, like they're sitting on top of a hill, and um, yeah, they're not they're not these old creaky clinging to a leather couch type vine. They're um they're, they're actually quite vibrant, and much of the work and effort that, in particular, Pruhenski's put into it in the last, particularly in the last two decades. I don't know if you mean to prove, but is she as short as Stephen? And the vines about knee height to them? <laughs> like when you say they're, they're gnarly old small vines, like the Henschkees aren't very, you know, they're slightly vertically challenged. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I've never seen them together. Actually. Standing but, side uh, by side. You've never seen no. them in the same room? Are you assuming, <laughs> implying that they're the same thing? <laughs> uh, I'm not implying Stephen and Prue are actually vines that have gotten up and started walking around. That's why they know wine making so well. They know it inside out. <laughs> no, I've not, uh, I'm Tree not bird uh, admitting to that. <laughs> but on the topic of old vines... Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Europe. Can Europe... Can Europe please label their wines with grape varieties? What's going on here? So I what, what happens? Would. would it make life easier? Uh, you, you and I both know it would. Surely you'd have to be in the... Like, I, I know I said no early on, but you you know as well as I do that the, the, the old world, particularly France, have a way of doing things and they're not going to change. No, I... I kind of agree with you there. They're not going to change, but a lot of people want to know the answer. So why aren't these wines labelled by variety? Because it's not important to them. What's important to them, Mori? Terroir. And what else? Uh, that's it, isn't it? What else is important to them? Well... I thought you had an answer. You, you said, what else? And, you just, and I was like, well, well, I don't know. What, what else is there? I've failed at the first answer there. I've failed at the first hurdle there, listeners. Don't ever ask a question on a podcast without knowing the answer. The, um... it's only, they, only care, they only care about – they care. So the, the idea being that, you know, for, for hundreds of years or however long they've had certain vines in certain areas, they've just – even though it's not entirely true, 
they just have this belief that, you know, Shiraz grows perfectly well in the Rhone and let's never change that. And uh, five or six grape variety, red grape varietals grow really well in Bordeaux and they've never changed that. And that's what grows well in... Um, I'm trying to think of another place now. So, so Burgundy, you know, we know what grows really well in Burgundy. So this is Burgundy. It's representative of Burgundy. That's what it is. And Chablis is this and Champagne is this and yada, yada, yada. We never... I think I think know. what we do know that the, the regulations... The regulations of the wine labelling in the EU. What we what we do know is they actually do tell us a lot of information. They may not tell us the variety, no, but they do tell us generally where they come from and the set of rules that they belong to. And this to the Europeans is what's most important. As Maury's correctly uh, identified there, terroir and the place that's grown and the climate, the climate, the geography, um, that that is the sum of the better than the sum of the parts and so they label it with a, with a place but that place is synonymous with the variety that yeah. grows there but and the idea think, the idea yeah. should is almost that the the, the great photo is less important than the place yeah i think that's like as backwards as that might seem to us because in the new world there's very much i drink shiraz and that's what i drink you know you don't drink Barossa because Barossa plants all kinds of things. To them, it's like I drink Gigondes because I yep. like Gigondes more than I like Chardonnay de Pape or um, uh, I like uh, Pomerol versus um, what's another Bordeaux Pou- thing? Pouillac. Pou- yeah, mm-hmm. I just and that's what I like, and it's yeah, it seems counterintuitive to us, but it's it, that's just what they. I mean, specifically talking about France, because obviously lots of places do put grape varieties on them. Germany, they all put, and, G- yeah. G- well, Germany do. Germany has a slightly different system. It's called a Pradigat system, P-R-A-D-I-K-A-T, which is devoted to the level of sugar only in one part. There are seven different – there are six other regions that have a denomination to it or a designation. Uh, Italy has a DOC, Spain has a DOC, Austria has a DOC, albeit uh, controlled by the government, uh, and then France obviously has the famous ones. Uh, England, England I, has a England has a DOC. Um, you know, so can, can I ask you a question? Lay it on uh, me. Um, when you see a French wine that does have the grape varietal on there, yeah, what do you think of that? I think. I instantly think it's got to be cheap and nasty. Yeah. It's, made, it's made somewhere yeah. outside the set of rules. Yeah, yeah that was the answer. <laughs> that's that's the correct answer. You, you can play for the $200 now, Campbell. <laughs> um, and there there are – Maurice quite fair, right. But it is, it is what you think. It's not fair, but it's what I think. Maurice right in the fact that there are some producers now, you know, that are mass-producing wines and labelling them with the variety for export and they can do that because it's being exported outside of the eu usually usually to asia or oceania australia wherever um and we're looking for french wines and we're hoping that it's labeled with variety but usually if it's chardonnay it's not chardonnay out of burgundy or even chablis moreover it's chardonnay that's come out of provence down near the mediterranean or something it's not 
uh, grown inside the AOC for Chardonnay, and generally that's why it's cheaper. And generally, whether whether correctly or incorrectly, it's I've just gone it's cheap and nasty. So um, oh, take, it, yeah, take so, it what you will. Yeah, but there's all sorts of weird reasons. I know there's a um, a bloke in in the Rhone, Southern Rhone, who just doesn't get along with the constabulary, and he just he, he buys grapes from different areas and just makes a wine. And because it's like that fruits from Shannon Earth to Pup Zone, and that fruits from here, and he doesn't doesn't want to have to get the percentages right and stuff like that, he then just labels it whatever he wants, <laughs> and as a result, he can't get the money of a. I suppose he could get the money as a coach of own, but. I think someone told me that the story is he could almost technically call his wine uh, gig on there as a Shannon Nerfstall part, but because he doesn't follow the rules enough, he has to call it – he has to devalue it. Yep. And he he might, therefore, because it's in the overarching arcing thing, he might be allowed to call it Coach Jamone, but he doesn't want to like just call it Coach Jamone because that's – that's the cheap version of the wine. So you know he, yeah, it's it, it's you know it's, it's you just fall outside the the walls for whatever reason. It's, it's doesn't necessarily same, mean bad wine, but you know it's, it's the it same does. story with Paolo de Marchi in the late seventies of Isolina when they had set down the rules of Chianti. Ah, oh, super Tuscan crash. Yes, and so they they had set down the rules of Chianti and. So Chianti was allowed to have Canolo, a white grape in it, and Super Tuscans were created so they could add in the noble varieties like Cabernet and Shiraz. Paolo mm. said, no, I just want to make a straight Sangiovese. My best Sangiovese is going into this bottle, Ceparello, and I'm gonna, that's, that's going to be my best bottle. And they're like, right, you're out. You can make it outside <laughs> the set of rules. And he said, no worries, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> he couldn't label it Chianti. He couldn't label it Chianti Classico. So he just later labelled it Separello, and it was discovered by some famous wine writers, and it basically started that whole Sangiovese Super Tuscan bent, which is still existing today, and they're some of the most investable wines on the planet. And oh, that yeah. is still made today. It is still a delicious, delicious wine. Most Super Tuscans are now blended, and they're not based on Sangiovese, but... Uh, Ceparello still is, as is Tignello, uh, and there's a couple of others which uh, have fallen out of my left ear, but they'll come back to me. But um, <laughs> there's a lot of Super Tuscans. Yeah, so wines made outside of the set of rules absolutely can have a really big impact with or without the variety. I think the, the regulation of the EU is about more so the place than the variety, but those places are synonymous with the great I, varieties. I suppose that's because, like... Brand, it's almost a brand name in itself. You know, you, you, uh, Penfolds is a big brand in Australia, but Burgundy is a big brand in France. Oh, without a doubt, absolutely. <laughs> Champenoise, the Champenoise are the greatest marketeers on planet Earth. Anytime you want to have a celebration, you think, oh, I'll have a bottle of champagne. That's mm. because you know there's been centuries. Um, there's been centuries of history pushing you towards that. They're the greatest marketeers out there. They actually uh, read my book, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, Wine Science Show. <laughs> you can there buy you it. And that'd be great. There's, there's a whole history of champagne in there. A lot of it's tied up 
with champagne marketing itself um, as do you remember that um, mineral water, mineral mineral bath craze? I think it was in the late 1800s. Yep. Um, it, it was champagne got marketed. It, it was all part of it. It had really good marketing um, people. Uh, it used to be really on the nose. People didn't like it. And then it just got swept up in the whole, uh, you think mineral water is good. This, is, this has got bubbles in it as well. And <laughs> alcohol. Get it. And uh, they just they align themselves. They're quite canny um, with marketing, particularly they they, they went straight into um, uh, America just after Prohibition ended, and marketing themselves as the, the the drink to celebrate with at the end of Prohibition, and that was that was one of their big coups. Hmm. That's where that's where they got some kick off the ground from. But anyway, canny buggers. Oh yeah, no, no, very smart. A lot of there's a lot of lying within the history of champagne, but oh, anyway, that's probably an episode for another day. <laughs> no, it's a book. <laughs> Read it, buy it, yeah. please. I've got I've got a box of them. I want to get rid of them. <laughs> Excellent, and they can get it. Where can they get it from, Luke Morris? If they don't uh, know by now, but uh, tell them we could have new listeners on board today. We could. Uh, if you go to Luke Morris, ha. Huh? .com.au. I think that will redirect you to my um, website and you can buy a book from there. And uh, look, Moss, ha! Uh, on the Instagram, there's a there's a link tree. Just click on the little bio. Go, go. Go, go. You beauty. Please. Well, Steve from Bernie's going and gone. He writes to us this week for our listener question. I Why do I prefer low tenon Red wines. Luke Morris, what is this all about? Low, <laughs> low tenon red wines. Do, do you know what I want to say? I want to, I want to say it's personal preference. I don't know why. Uh, low tenon red wines. So that would be things like uh, Pinot and Merlot, um, Gamay, uh, that sort of soft reds. That's what yeah, he's talking absolutely. about. Yeah, yeah. Gr- Grenache, Cinso, um Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Franc, Barbera. Um, Yeah, geez, these are all low tenants. Doesn't like the, I assume they just don't like the drying nature of tannin. Because what what would you be avoiding? Well, I guess I I would, counterintuitive, I guess if I was after a low, as a sommelier, if I was looking for a low tenant wine, I'd be looking for something less abrasive with a smoother texture. That's probably going to, and how it's going to match with food. But for in Steve's plight, he might be just thinking, "I just want something smooth." Like often the case, like and you, you mentioned the big red brand there earlier. Like often the case, these wines that are made in absolute bulk, you know, they they're, they're, they have lower tannins. You know, they've been made that way, and there's been tannin extraction along the way. Uh, you know, like. But in a in a small you know small production whatever you, you, it is. you're talking about Pedfolds extracting tannin out of their Shirazes. I am, yeah, absolutely. How does one well, extract tannin from during the process? Well, they might blend. They lower, like in a in a GSM, you know, they might blend. They lower. Ah, uh, okay. You know, you know, like so they 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 play with it. They balance it out effectively. So you're not gonna you're gonna say that they're not doing that. No, no, no. So, so I was just thinking. I was just. 
try and expand on that in terms of thinking that they might also um, not leave much skin contact, like which would extract well. skin yeah. tannin. Um, yeah, but I, mean, I was probably more yeah. more in the in the wheelhouse, like throwing some Malbec in or Carignan in, or like like Mal Malbec, Malbec can be quite tannic. Well, but it's got moderate tannin, sure, but it's got this real fruit forward nature. Yeah. So, and it, it doesn't, you know, so it kind of the, the fruit goes up, the fruit flavor goes up, and by the very nature, the tannins come down. So it's not it's not bitter like something say like a Nebbiolo be, or even Chaz could be, you know, like if very hectic wine are made like low low tan red wines i think you're probably looking low tan red wine because that that less of less about being abrasive you might have tannin sensitivity there's a lot of research done that you know tannins for some people are hard to digest you know tannins if you're sensitive to tea and coffee and Mm. Um, some people are sensitive to spice as well, like when, which there's tannins in cinnamons and chocolates and things like that. So cocoa has tannins. Like if you have tannin sensitivity, you might be looking for a low tannin red wine. So uh, I think th- the facts are, I think, and you, Luke, you might know better than I, but about 25% of the population actually have a, a heightened sensitivity to bitterness. So, um, and it's the, these people who wind up being really great tasters you know like so um but i mean everyone has their own taste preferences but i I don't think yeah yeah i wanted to ask you on this because you on you have thirsty thursdays yes interviews Mm. and what's the question that you ask you ask uh does the wine make other is the winemaker searching for uh, acid or sugar? Acid or sugar? Is that the no, question? A- a- no. Acid or tannin? So you're either acid you're or tannin. Either, yeah, yeah. You're either an acid junkie or a tannin file. In my in my opinion, every winemaker is looking for one or the other. I have had a couple of winemakers, only a couple. I've had a couple say they're looking for both, but most winemakers are, are the other one or the other. Uh, and it's it's a pretty easy question. Uh, for the winemakers to answer because, yeah, I mean, they, they are. I mean, every, it's a reflection everyone, of your taste buds. Pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. But, Steve, I, I think, you know, you're on the right path. You're on the right path there. Tannins occur naturally in, in a lot of things, not just wine grapes. But if you're looking for those lower varieties, um, Lower, t- lower tannin varieties, a couple that Lukey mentioned there, and I threw Barbera and Malbec in. Cabernet Franc's another one. It's got low tannins. Um, it's got less tannins than any other Cabernet. The, the the wine that got me into this whole wine malarkey, actually, Valpolicella. Valpolicella, uh, made just generally out of Corvina grapes, has this kind of, um, you know, kind of s- sour cherry, it's it's a it's a, it's a softish red wine, absolutely, and um, it is. It's 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 a blend. A lot of blends have less tannin in it. You mentioned Gamay, Grenache, Grenache, another one, Pinot Noir, obvious choice. But I think low tannin wines, if you're looking for them, they've got a they're they're a positive. They're often, um, you know, they're often fruit forward and and vibrant, and yeah, they're just utterly tasty, like. I think it's good that Steve's identified that he likes and knows what light tenons are. Oh, gee, I hope so. I, 
this is this is, is I, I, I I love more information on the question because I don't I don't I don't know Steve from Bar of Soap, so I'm not going to criticise him um, too heavily. But sometimes you get questions like that, and then they follow up is I only drink Cabernet, and it's like oh, <laughs> so what is it that you're looking for when you say you don't like the tannin? <laughs> I hope you haven't named a whole bunch of grapes that he's sitting there thinking, but I hate Cabernet. But that's that's sort of exactly what you're asking for. Well, I, I guess on you know that, what I mean. I'm, I know I, exactly what you mean. You know and what I mean. He Steve just he just mentions about low ten and great varieties. I wonder if he's taken into fact that you know if he's drinking stuff with. No, you know, we haven't even mentioned any whites. Maybe. No, or, or rosé. I guess you know we could have mentioned. <laughs> Now, his question referred to red wine. Did it refer to red wine? Why might I prefer low ten and red wines? Yeah, oh, so, I did say red. Okay. Yeah, red. Yeah, yeah. So, no. So that's that's probably the reason why we didn't mention rosé or white wines. Just that's probably why. Yeah, but um, but what things we need to talk about is, is probably oak. Obviously, oak's essentially straight oak tannin. Yeah. Tannin. So, and all those bigger grape varieties that we didn't mention, Shiraz, Cabernet, Zinfandel, all those kind of numbers, these grape varieties also have thick skin, Nebbiola is another one, and they all eat up that oak tannin. So steer clear of those, Steve. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot of good grapes when you think about it. And now, why is it, it seems weird that we, apart from Pinot, everything that we've named as being low tannin isn't probably... The most well-known grape varietal, Merlot, no, because they're often Pinot. they're off, they're all blend. They often blend them for, for reasons stated. They they throw them in a blend, right? So, um, so they often play second signal to so soften second. something else. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Fair, fair, but on. What are you drinking this week, mate? Uh, I was going to tell you more about the electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> From, from last week, but actually, um, uh, some family have been out from England, and we had a, uh, a a roast dinner a couple of nights ago. And uh, two thousand and one Malbec Shiraz from Pondalowie. I, I don't think I've mentioned Pondalowie much on the show, so that's been fair. Mm. I I do have a relationship with the with the winery, but gosh, we we're talking about. We had that, and I don't think that they've only made one or two Malbec Shirazes. 2001, mm-hmm. absolute cracker. But then they were talking about how their vineyard blend, which started out as a $20 wine. Yeah. Um, but, oh, gosh, 20 years ago now, still mm-hmm. a $20 wine. Yeah. I, mean, that, I, was, I was thinking yesterday how we, we've talked about this on the podcast a few times, that there's – there's people who are really good winemakers and they crap at everything else. <laughs> yep. You got a, so you, really good wines, just too cheap. Just doesn't don't know how to market. <laughs> it's a more expensive business. If you put some of those wines in thick, heavy bottles with fancy labels on them, you'd be selling them for a hundred dollars each. Like the wine inside of it's pretty good stuff. And the Pondalawi Vineyard Blend, it was always yeah. yeah. Yeah, 20, 20, as you say, twenty bucks. Still it, it twenty was, bucks. Think of inflation in that time, and you're still paying twenty dollars for it. It's too cheap. And it has. It's a blend, wasn't it? Shiraz, Cabernet, 
Shiraz, Cabernet, Temp, Temp, or yeah, was when it blend, I, wasn't it? Was it yeah, when I there? when I worked there early on, the the intention was that it was a um, uh, a, a a representation of that vintage, so it was always going to be that was the intention. So it changed from a Shiraz Cabernet. I think one year it became Cabernet Shiraz because the Cabernet was really good that year or there was a small Cabernet. And then the yeah. Tempanillo came on. So there was, it, there was a year where it was a, a Shiraz Cabernet Tempanillo. And it was just a, it was just sort of a, a, a field blend, a bit, a bit inspired by the field blends of Europe, you know. Yep. Yeah, yeah. As we were discussing, uh, the great vitals didn't so, so much matter as what was around in, in the um, field that year. Uh, but I think it has morphed into a more standard vent, uh, production. I can't tell you what the latest, latest vintage is, but I think it's fairly steady now. Yeah, right, okay. Yes, well, I've, uh, I've had a bit of experience with that wine myself. It was always juicy and delicious. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember, yeah. 2001, it was, I think, the very first year they made something and it um, is still standing up like it's a, uh, it's ready to go 18 rounds. It's, it's <laughs> up and up and perky. I love that. When you find a wine like that poking around the back of the cellar and you pull out and you think, gee, I could go either way on this wine, you open it and it's just banging. You're like, yes, I've won. You know, the nonsense <laughs> thing about that is it's under cork and we talk about how, like, screw cap sticks things into carbon stasis and it just sort of stays there forever because we set, we had a 2004 Shiraz next to it um, and uh, that was that was looking good but I was like, oh yeah, but that's under screw cap. It should be looking good. Screw cap holds things pretty well. That This other thing was under cork and it was still going. Good on wow. it. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. What have you been drinking in your neck of the woods? Well... So a bit like yourself, actually, on the Shiraz. I guess that's it's that time of year. I just I can't get off the Shiraz train. It is. Um, <laughs> it was a two thousand. <laughs> it was a two thousand and sixteen. What kind Indigo of train Vignette. is the Shiraz train? A long was, one, a very it, long one. Is it puffing Billy kind of Smokey's top, or is it? <laughs> that that sounds more like a Boilo train to me for some reason. Yeah, if it's, if, no. it's, if it's fire fire lit on the insides, it's a steam engine. A Shiraz train would be. Um, oh, I don't know. What's a Shiraz train? How is that? Is, is that electric? This is, this is this is big and long. No, I don't feel it would be electric. But this this particular number, it was just, it had all the hallmarks of that kind of great Shiraz. It was a Beechworth Indigo Vineyard Sega Village Shiraz from thirteen. Actually, it was uh, had a couple of years on it, but. Oh my gosh! It could have been Rhone Valley. It had that kind of undergrowth, oh, kind of herbaceous. I don't like that comparison with New World wines, but it didn't have just. It wasn't real fruit flat out. I, I like was, that comparison. Um, Why don't you like that yeah. comparison? Well, I guess you know. Are, are we? I think we're just making Beechworth wines now, aren't we? We're not trying to emulate the Rhone, are we? I, I, uh, like, I think these guys yeah. are just making great Shiraz, and they're proud of it. And you know, they're yeah. I, was just was just stunning, you know. Like I had this sour cherry thing and white pepper spice. I, I really enjoyed it. 
Good. They're on at the the um, Indigo Vineyard wines are on our site at vinified.com.au if you want to have a beep by peep at them. Uh, I've put some in, in the cellar actually just because I just want to see how they're going. This was under screw cap, mind you. Uh, 13 was an indifferent, a challenging year for them, um, for Reds, but uh, it yeah, it just looks superb. Uh, you've just you've just made me think of something. I'm going to send you a um, a question for next week because a customer of mine asked a question. Great, and love it. It, it was it, it just it, it it's going to open the door. Wait till next week, listener, because uh, this is an interesting question. It actually is an interesting question. We'll talk about it next week. We will. We'll come back to it next week. And thank you to the listening audience. He's been Luke Morris. Mm-hmm. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find me at vinified underscore wine underscore services on the socials. You can find us at Luke's Talk Wine on the socials. Don't yeah. forget to rate and share the podcast. We're loving the listener feedback that we're getting. Send us an email at lukestalkwine at gmail.com. Um, but yes, in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Ta-ta. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au